0: You are listening to a podcast from Victory. Enduring joy comes from the surpassing worth of pursuing Christ. Let's learn more about this in week three of our series, Joyful. Welcome to our worship today, this morning, and I'm just excited to share with us from the third chapter of Philippians, we've been going through the series called Joyful, and uh, we're just excited to come and share that with us as we have gone through uh, the last two chapters and we are uh, at the pinnacle of this book, and my prayer is for all of us to be able to set aside things for a while, and listen for the next few minutes what the Lord is speaking to each and every one of us. Question that I would like to give to every one of us as we get started this morning. Is it possible to have joy in the midst of current life's pressures and challenges? Is it possible to have that joy, genuine joy, in our hearts? Well, we will see that in this passage of Scripture let me start by reading in verse 1 of chapter 3. Here is Apostle Paul in verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. That's how he has kicked off the chapter and saying, finally, in spite of the things Uh, that he has mentioned in chapter 2 in showing us the life of humility exemplified by Christ, now he's saying, finally, uh, uh, rejoice in the Lord. And this theme of rejoice is just all over the place as far as this epistle is concerned. And so now we will see this joy within the framework of our relationship with God. For those of you who are watching and you're wanting to have the same thing, a relationship with God, I hope that you'll be able to find that out during this sermon because we will see in this passage of Scripture some challenges in the lives of the saints in, in Philippi, how they have been struggling with different types of works and the flesh. We're going to look at that right now. So now after saying that, look at verse 2, and he has changed gears on the spot. As soon as he has encouraged them to rejoice in the Lord and commanded them to rejoice in the Lord, he changed gears immediately and attacked the main issue in the church. In other words, he has done what he needed to do in chapter 1 and chapter 2. Now it's time for him to address the issue within the church. And this is what he says. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. So here he was. He went straight to the point and challenged this group of men who had been trying to come and penetrate the church and speak a different kind of gospel. We all know in the first chapter that Apostle Paul didn't have any problem addressing those brothers who have been preaching with different motives. He said, don't mind them as long as they get to preach Christ's wrong motives or right motives as long as they get to preach Christ's. It's amazing that Apostle Paul didn't mind about the content, Uh, I mean the motive of the people as long as the content of the gospel is intact. But this group of men right here in chapter 3, had a different content of the gospel, the the theological direction of the gospel is so different that he has to address it immediately. It is just like an airplane that is about to fly out of Naya going towards, let's say, Abu Dhabi. And if that plane will just have a little change in degrees as far as the as it is flying let's say around uh, you know around uh, 50 50 to 100 miles already that small difference will make a difference at the end of the flight that plane might not land in abu dhabi it might land in south africa what are we saying Apostle Paul was trying to nip it in the bud on the spot right here and addressing the main issue of putting confidence in the flesh or in the religious practice of circumcision and flaunting the religious experience rather than the spirit of it. And so he's saying, these guys are not really the circumcision party. They are the the mutilators. In other words, they have lost the meaning of it. They're nothing but mutilators. He was very adamant and straight to the point. Then he came and started mentioning to, to the readers his religious pedigree and his background. And he was saying, my background is even higher than what these guys had accomplished. In fact, then he went on to all the accomplishments he had in the past. He moved on and he says, but he says, I have more, he says, circumcised on the eighth day in verse uh, verse 5. Of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the saints, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. He had an impeccable religious pedigree and accomplishments. And yet, right here is now changing gears. And because of what the gospel had accomplished, now he is showing us how it is to live the life of a transformed life because of the gospel, because of the faith in the faith of Christ, faith in the blood of Christ, faith in what Christ has accomplished. And we've gone through it last week in chapter 2 of Ephesians on how He emptied Himself, became man and faced the cross for you and I. That's what would give us that's the gospel that we're talking about and will give us the gift of salvation. And so he's saying, rejoice in the gift of salvation in your relationship with Christ. Forget about relying on the past achievements, on your religious achievements, but focus on the gospel and the impact of this gospel in your life. And then he moved on and, and showing us right here uh, a a reversal, if I can say that, a joyful reversal in the life of Apostle Paul because of the gospel. Because of the impact of the gospel, there was this turnaround, and now he's showing us these joyful pursuits caused by the gospel in a believer's life. And I want to go through these pursuits right now. And he started bragging in a good sense. These pursuits that is important and the impact of the gospel in a person's life that we get to enjoy. Truly, this is joyful. Our hearts is filled with joy because of the opportunity to have a salvation in a relationship because of the gospel of Christ. Number one, And we see this in verse 7. It says, But whatever gain I had, I counted a loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them rubbish. I like how King James put it, I count them dung. Now, that's very straight to the point. ESB is a bit, is a bit uh, finesse, you know, rubbish. And then he says, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, not my own righteousness because of my confidence in my religious pedigree, that, but, but that comes from the law, but that which comes through the gospel, faith in Christ. That's where I base my faith on. It is not on the righteousness of the flesh. And so the first pursuit that I'd like to present before us here today is knowing Christ through the revelation of the gospel. Knowing Christ for the, through the revelation of the gospel, as we have gone through that, and and we see. Let, let me let me continue on verse ten. That I may know Him, the power of His resurrection, and may share in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection. From the dead. But I want you to notice knowing Jesus, knowing Christ through the revelation of the gospel does not only speak of simply being redeemed and be part of the family of God. This is not just what I meant by it, but that's part of it. That we have become, knowing Jesus, we have become um, uh, a slave that has been bought back, redeemed by Him through His blood and now part of the family of God. But however, it can also, be go, uh, also go beyond that to refer to a deep, rich, and joyful personal nearness with Christ. It's a daily walk with the Lord in our nearness up to Him, personal devotion to Christ and a growing relationship with Him. That's what I meant, not just being redeemed and become part of God's family, but a growing relationship with Christ. And that's the pursuit that Apostle Paul was saying, he became an accountant. He says, I count them nothing compared to the surpassing knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. All the things that he has accomplished was nothing compared to what the gospel had done in his life. And that's an amazing thing to see. But the second part here is becoming like Christ's in his propagation of the gospel. The second pursuit I'd like us to look at, not just knowing Christ through the revelation of the gospel, but becoming like Christ's in his propagation of the gospel. And I'd like us to look at the later part of verse 10 up to verse 11, and it says, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Now, I want us to look at this. I, I posted it this morning on my, on my Twitter account, and, and I wrote it there about becoming like Christ. Uh, you know, you may say, becoming like Christ. And I I posted this verse and then I added a link of an article of the most persecuted people in the world. The most persecuted people group in the world are those who have relationship with Christ, the Christians. And And why am I saying this? I'm saying this because Christ's sufferings produced the gospel. The suffering of Christ, His death on the cross, produced the gospel, the the evangel. And there's nothing we can add to the evangel. There's nothing we can add to the gospel. You can't add your own suffering into the gospel in order for you to be saved. What is important and what is lacking was the evangelization that would spread the evangel, the gospel, to the ends of the earth. So when you say sharing and becoming like Christ in his sufferings, we're not just talking about the sufferings of Christ and the sufferings we go through in this life. But, it, you know, and, and, and not only the suffering that probably Apostle Paul was trying to insinuate here because he was about to be put to death when he was writing this. He didn't even know whether he's going to be put to death or not. He didn't even know the judgment yet. And yet he's already saying, becoming like Christ even to his death. Apostle Paul, mejo sa Tagalog, we say it, May hugot si Apostle Paul because he he's about to be persecuted for his faith. But nevertheless, there's another angle in this passage of the Scripture. When we become like Christ, we share in His sufferings, and that suffering has something to do with what made Paul to be in that prison in the first place. Paul had been preaching the gospel all along, and now he's saying, One of the pursuits of every believer is to become like Christ. Just as he has suffered, we believe God for the spread of the gospel, whatever it takes. Now, some of you might not be able to relate to this. You know, why is that? Because we live in the Philippines or we live in a nation where We claim to be the only Christian nation in Asia and and we have very little persecution here. Very little. We have a little bit in some of the areas of, of the different islands of the Philippines, but it's nothing compared to what's happening outside of the Philippines. So some of us here might not be able to relate if you live here in the Philippines. Suffering is a common, but I want you to know that suffering is a common theme. Uh, uh, of, of the Christian experience of the first centuries, those Christians who have come to know Christ, it's automatic. They're counting the cost of the sufferings that they'll be facing when they become believers. But my desire today is that you and I will get to participate in the preaching and the spreading of the gospel, even though you and I might not, uh, you know, uh, you know, come to a point of death because we are here in the Philippines. Because as I've said, we have that freedom in our nation. But we all know that Christians are the most persecuted minorities in the world today. In fact, they made a, a statistic way back in 2016 that the most persecuted group of the world, being a Christian in many areas, is a constant matter of life and death. In 2016, approximately 90,000 Christians were killed across the globe. Estimates attribute nearly a third of these deaths to the hands of the ISIS, and we all know about that. We've been aware of that. That was only recent. In North Africa alone, and in the Middle East in particular, have seen a sharp decline in their Christian population. Almost 100 years ago, in these nations, in, in North Africa and the Middle East, 20% of their populations are Christians. 100 years later, it's now 4%. With this kind of trend, there's only one word that I can use for this, to describe this. Extermination. That's what has been happening. And why am I sharing this? I'm sharing this just to let us know that when you say, I share in the suffering of Christ, during their time when this was written, they knew, Apostle Paul knew what he was talking about, and the Christians during that time knew what they were talking about. Is this still a reality today? I've just shared with us some of the, some of the articles of what's happening around us today. This is not ancient history we're just talking about today. And so this message of becoming like Christ really is a matter of life and death. For you and I, who are in our beloved country, the Philippines, we get to have the privilege of preaching the gospel unhindered and without shame. And having said that, we move on. We, you saw this picture in India where, you know, stop violence against Christians. There was a there was a, 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 an archbishop from, from Iraq who said this, Bashar Warda. He says, where were the protesters when ISIS came to kill Christians? Warda further said, we are an ancient people on the verge of extinction because of our commitment to our faith. Will anybody protest for us? What a cry of a religious leader, of a Christian leader in Iraq. I have just shared with us that second pursuit. The first one is knowing Christ through the revelation of the gospel. Second is becoming like Christ in the propagation of the gospel and sharing in his sufferings in his death. And the third one, reaching forth to Christ's reward of the gospel. And he was now, a while ago, he was was an accountant. I counted a loss. That's why there was a great reversal I counted a loss. And all these pedigrees that I have accomplished for myself is nothing compared to my pursuits. And the first one is the knowledge of Christ, becoming like Him. And now he's saying, reaching forth to Christ and His gospel. Look at verse 12. And we look at verse 12 up to verse 13, going towards verse uh, 14. Not that I have already obtained this. In other words, he has not not accomplished it yet. He's still pursuing it and reaching out to. Or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. In other words, I've got this relationship with Jesus. I did not only, he did not only reach out to me. it's, it's not just me reaching out to him, but he reached out to me. In fact, he reached out to me first. Verse 13, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing, he said, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind not only that, he has mentioned all those pedigrees that he had mentioned. He says, I'm forgetting them. And not only my Jewish pasts, but even my current condition as an apostle. I don't lean on my religious accomplishments as an apostle at this time in my life. Because this is in a, in a present tense forgetting what lies behind in a present tense, not just the past, but even the current religious accomplishments he had. I'm forgetting them. And straining forward to what lies ahead. You know the picture of straining toward what lies ahead, Apostle Paul was now using the metaphor of an athlete. It's a metaphor of a runner who's about to reach its finish line. I can't help but google and check on Usain Bolt. Here's a picture of him, Usain Bolt in his last Olympic participation. Became one of the richest athletes worth 90 million dollars. Here's Usain Bolt finishing up in the Rio Olympics in 2016 with a smile on his face, with a smirk on his face, looking at the person next to him because he had gone ahead of him. And yet, there's that smile of straining forward. What, is, what are we trying to say here? This athletic metaphor shows us the strenuous effort needed for the Christian life. Yes, you heard me. After being saved, we have seen his intensity level in the past. We've seen Apostle Paul's intensity level in the past. He would eat Christians for breakfasts, But the intensity level hasn't changed. But the only thing that had changed was the motive, his motive behind the intensity. What was it? He was radically changed from self-effort to gospel service. Totally different motive, but same intensity as far as the pursuit is concerned. I want to share with us today the very thing that had us so intense about the life in the past. Could you imagine this time that incentive intensity? The motive had been changed and transformed by the gospel. Now it's for the gospel service. I straining toward ahead like a runner. There's something about the finish line that inspires a runner. It helped me in my own run five, seven, six years ago, thinking about the finish line. As a believer today, every believer today is actually a runner, and all of us are straining toward, not even running like this, it's a wrong form, but you are straining toward the finish line. And what was it? The finish line of pressing on toward the goal for the price of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I like how Hudson Taylor said this, and I'm going to end and give us our takeaway today. Hudson Taylor says, Do we know much of fellowship with him in this? There are not two Christs. One, an easygoing Christ for an easygoing Christian and a suffering, toiling Christ for an exceptional believers. There is only one Christ. We are willing or are we willing to abide in Him and so to bear fruit? Hudson Taylor. And guess what? I believe as we abide in Christ, fruit will come forth. At the end of the day, it's only, not only Christ who redeemed us and given us a relationship and a and so gift of salvation, but it's the same Christ's to whom we would abide to, would produce and give us the privilege to bear fruit. Let me end with this. The joy I have in my relationship with Christ is inseparable from the fact that in my increasing pursuit of Him comes the spreading of the gospel. In a way, he had pursued us anyway. He was the one who had pursued us, who became like one of us, emptied himself, and faced the challenge of the cross for the sake of mankind. Folks, that's the gospel. That God became man in Christ Jesus to save you and I. I want us to pray right now. Father God, thank you for giving us this opportunity to hear your word and be inspired by the gospel, that truly you have come here on earth, became man in Christ Jesus, and your life was lived in perfect, in a perfect life, fulfilling all the requirements of the law. And you've lived sinless life, and that made you qualified to save mankind and you did. You died on that cross. You were buried and you rose again from the dead just to let everybody know that you truly had overcome sin. And now you're offering this gift of eternal life to those who will repent and believe in your name. Thank you, Lord, for the gospel. Thank you, Lord, for coming for us that you have pursued us so that that same intensity we had in the past is now with the gospel motive being applied to preach the gospel to the world. In spite of what's happening around us, Lord, believers will continue to spread that gospel as we continue, as as you continue, Lord, to pursue you for it is just a response to your pursuit of us. In Jesus' name we pray and everybody say amen and amen.